They looked lovely on the vine, so you pluck them and eat them, but the acid bursts into your mouth and you realize they're unripe. You spit them out and you say, stupid sour grapes. I didn't want them anyhow. Uh, that's how we think of the phrase sour grapes today. It's about wanting something and then when you can't get it or if somebody else gets it instead of you, you say, oh, I never liked them anyway. Sour grapes, right? It was Aesop's fables that gave us that sense to the phrase sour grapes. But the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah both used the phrase sour grapes even earlier. And their meaning was surprising. Let me read from Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 2 and 3. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The God is speaking here. Um, what do you mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. The context is exile. Uh, Ezekiel is with the people in Babylon and they have a popular saying, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but it's the children's teeth that are set on edge. In other words, the Israelites claim to be suffering because of the sins of their ancestors. It's the sense of, we've gone into exile, but it's not our fault. Okay, sour grapes in that their parents supposedly had sinned, they're innocent, but they're getting punished. Well, the Lord God wants to set the record straight. And so Ezekiel chapter 18 uh, demolishes this kind of fatalism, as though they are just destined to always share in the suffering of their ancestor. He really wants to, to demolish that kind of fatalism. And you can read it all for yourself if, if you want to see uh, the context. But let me summarize chapter 18. Essentially, this chapter gives us three case studies of prominent Israelites who either sin or act righteously. And as their lives are summarized, it sounds very much like the books of kings in the Bible, where um, this king would do this or that, and then there would be a verdict on their life at the end. He was a good king, he was a bad king, he was a good king, he was a bad king. And so in verses 5 to 9, we have a righteous man. Perhaps it's talking about a king. And then in verses 10 to 13, we read about his wicked son. And then in verses 14 to 17, we read about the third generation, and this son is righteous. So you've got kind of a good grandfather, a wicked dad, and a good son. And throughout, the Lord emphasizes that God is very fair in dealing with each of these representatives. So from verse 20, he says, Look, the soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. But if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. Because of the righteous things he has done, he will live. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So Ezekiel 18 is about really ramming home this message. The Sovereign Lord is merciful and just, and He takes no pleasure in judging the wicked. This mitigates against any fatalism we might feel about our judgments. There, there are the Israelites in exile, and they feel like they're completely stuck because their parents ate sour grapes, and now their teeth are on edge. Their parents did wrong, and now they're suffering for it. And the Lord is reminding them that 
he will honor whatever repentance they have. If they want, if they want to be righteous, then be righteous. But there's something more going on here. Ezekiel 18 is actually telling us a story. It's a story with a shape. You see, there is a good king, and then there is a fall from that original goodness, and then there is a final king who restores righteousness, and in between there is sin and punishment. As the Israelites heard about these three kings, they would have been thinking, perhaps first of all, they'd be thinking of King, king Josiah. He was the good king just before the exile. After him came wicked sons who, provi- who presided over the exile. But then Ezekiel holds out the hope that there'd be a third generation, a final king to restore righteousness, a royal son who would set things straight. Ezekiel actually writes about this final king in a number of places. For instance, Ezekiel 34 from verse 23. He says, I will place over Israel one shepherd, my servant David. Of course, King David was long dead by the time Ezekiel was writing this, but David in this idealized sense. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. And if we go down to verse 30, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, um, are people, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. So here's the great hope held out by Ezekiel. Chapter 18 is not saying, ultimately, everyone stands or falls on their own sins. Ezekiel is not denying vicarious atonement. The whole Old Testament is built on vicarious atonement. That's what the sacrificial system is about. He's not denying that the Lord Jesus can come and cover over our sins. No, he is opposing fatalism and he's telling a story about a true king, a righteous son who seeks and saves us wayward sheep. And the message of Ezekiel is not that we stand or fall according to our own performance. No, we all deserve death for our sins. But Ezekiel holds out hope in the righteous one, Christ, the ideal David, the great shepherd, the great prince among us. And in Him, in Christ, God's offer is life. Because of Christ, the Lord can conclude uh, this in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 32. Um, And may these be the words that we cling to today as the Lord speaks to us. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Today in our righteous King, the Prince, the Lord Jesus, those words hold true. You do not have to be held accountable for your old sins, but in Christ, repent and live.